The following message comes to you from the pulpit of Zion Primitive Baptist Church in Zion, Alabama. For more information, please visit us online at zionpbc.com. I want to welcome you today to the Zion Primitive Baptist Church podcast. This podcast is an outreach of Zion Primitive Baptist Church, which is located in the Zion community near Gordo, Alabama. I'm Elder Chris McCool, and I serve as pastor of Zion Primitive Baptist Church. We are a congregation of believers in the sovereign grace of God where families worship together through the simple practice of preaching, praying, and singing. If you live in this area or are visiting here, we would love to have you attend worship services with us. We meet every Sunday morning at 10.30 a.m. and every Sunday evening at 5 p.m. and the first and third Wednesday evenings at 6.30 p.m. I'm happy to note that our daily podcast is featured on Grace Alone Radio, which you can find at gracealoneradio.net. You can find the schedule on the website, and you can also download an app to your phone so that you can listen wherever you are. Grace Alone Radio is a 24-hour streaming service which carries the message of God's sovereign grace around the clock and around the world. Zion Primitive Baptist Church is located at 9487 County Road 49, Gordo, Alabama. That's near the intersection of County Road 49 and Alabama Highway 159, about 10 miles north of Gordo, Alabama, and about 8 miles northeast of Reform, Alabama. If you're interested in finding more sermons, you can go to our website at zionpbc.com that's Z-I-O-N-P-B-C dot com, where you'll find all of our posted sermons as well as a link to subscribe to our podcast. You can also subscribe to our website, which will update you every time a new sermon is posted. Today, we are continuing in our series on the spiritual armor that God has provided for us and the spiritual battle that we face here in this life. You may recall in Ephesians 6 that Paul lists six items of armor that we are told to put on in our fight against the world, the flesh, and the devil. Last time we looked at the girdle or belt of truth. Today we're looking at the breastplate of righteousness. The Roman soldier's breastplate covered the vital organs of his body. Likewise, the breastplate of righteousness covers the vital organs of our spiritual nature. Our conscience, our heart, our bowels, which is the place where the Romans and Greeks believed was the seat of the emotions. Join us today and tomorrow as we look at this breastplate of righteousness and see how that it's not just the imputed righteousness of Christ, but rather it is the right living that we engage in in this life. Righteous living will protect us in the spiritual war that we're facing. But first, we have a song selection that I hope you enjoy. After the song, please stay tuned for another message of God's sovereign grace from the Zion Primitive Baptist Church pulpit. Sweet to rejoice in my
Ephesians, the sixth chapter. Ephesians chapter 6, and as you turn there, I want to ask you a question this morning. Is your heart right with God? Now, before you start looking at me funny as primitive Baptists, I know what you hear out in the world. I know what the churches of the world teach, that you've got to get your heart right with God in order to go to heaven. Well, I trust this morning I'm not speaking to a bunch of heathens, reprobates. I trust this morning that I'm preaching to some people who have already been regenerated. They've already been given a new heart. They've already been born again. And they have now the ability to serve God. Being born again is prerequisite to any other activity on the part of someone who previously was spiritually dead. Just like natural birth is prerequisite to any activity on the part of someone who had not been born or someone who's dead. You know, when Jesus was going around doing good here on this earth, uh, he didn't go around to people that had died. He didn't walk up to the tomb of Lazarus and rap on the, the stone that was there and say, hey, man, if you want to, come on out. <laughs> he just declared, Lazarus, come forth. He, he does that to us as his children who were dead in our trespasses and in sins he doesn't knock on our heart door. That verse over in Revelation is taken completely out of context as it's used in the world. It's talking about a church. It's talking about uh, a church that has apostatized, has left its first love, has become lukewarm. And that church is talking to people who are already regenerated. It's not talking about the sinner's heart. When the Lord comes to regenerate one, he doesn't ask permission. He just knocks the door down. <laughs> And he comes right in, you see. But I want to ask you a question again this morning. As a regenerated, born-again child of God, is your heart right with God? Now you're going to see how that's going to apply as we talk about the spiritual armor this morning. And that's a question we all ought to ask one another, ourselves, not one another, ourselves, it's my job to ask you <laughs> as the preacher. But we need to be asking ourselves this question every day. In Ephesians chapter 6 and verse 10, Finally, my brethren, be strong in the Lord and in the power of His might. Put on the whole armor of God that ye may be able to stand against the wiles of the devil. For we wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers, against the rulers of the darkness of this world, against spiritual wickedness in high places. Wherefore, take unto you the whole armor of God, that ye may be able to withstand in the evil day, and having done all, to stand. Now, we're about to get into the armor. We talked about the first item of the armor last time. Stand, therefore, having your loins girt about with truth. We saw last time that there is protection for you in the battle, and it begins with this girdle of truth. Now, it's not a girdle like we think of. It's a thick belt that, that, that you put on. It's not just to hold your pants up. It's there to buckle all the rest of the armor to it. You have to, you, you put it on, and it holds the armor together. It's wrapped around the waist. It's connected to the armor, and it's the place where the sword is buckled, Okay. And in a real sense, we saw last time, the truth is the foundation for all of us in the battle. 
the word of God, which is the truth of God, and the church of God, which is the pillar and ground of the truth, is the foundation for us in the spiritual battle that we're in. We are to be always seeking the truth. We are, you know, Jesus told the woman at the well that God is a spirit and they that worship him must worship in spirit and praise God. If you've been born again, you have the spirit. And there's more to that than just the being the born again part. There's the spirit that guides and leads us as well throughout our lives after that we've been born again. But if you only have the spirit and you don't have the truth, you do not have the worship that God wants us to engage in. It's wonderful to have the Spirit. We've, I felt the Spirit this morning. But praise God, one of the reasons I felt the Spirit is we've been singing songs of truth. And I knew that the Lord being my helper, I'm going to get up here and try to preach to you the truth. The Spirit is important, but the truth as well, because the truth is the pillar and the foundation upon which the church builds and, upon, and about which the church preaches. And we're to be uncompromising on the truth, and yet Ephesians 4.15 tells us that we're to speak the truth in love. We're to be loving in our approach to those who oppose themselves, as the Apostle Paul told Timothy, who are taken, snare in, in, taken uh, in a snare by the devil at his will. We're to be loving and yet uncompromising and if we get the belt of truth wrong the rest of the armor won't protect us like it should we saw that last time this time we want to go to the next item he says stand therefore having your loins girt about with truth and having on the breastplate of righteousness the breastplate of righteousness okay well, let's let's talk about this Remember that Paul is using as an analogy here the Roman soldier's armor. We, we talked about that a little bit last time with that belt of truth. But the Roman soldier had a breastplate. The breastplate protected from about the neck down almost to the knees. It protected the vital organs, a place where a fatal blow could be struck. The heart, the lungs, the kidneys, the, the, the bowels, the, uh, all those areas where instant death could occur in some cases and slow, painful death in others. If you got a blow to the heart, it could kill you in instantly. If you got stabbed in the stomach, you could die a slow, painful death. And the Roman soldier was vulnerable to attacks without a breastplate. In like manner, the Christian soldier is vulnerable to attacks without a breastplate. And our breastplate is the breastplate of righteousness. Let's look at what it is. Uh, you know, what is this breastplate of righteousness? Well, what it is not is self-righteousness. Okay, let's, let's look at what it's not. It's not self-righteousness. You remember the old... The old Pharisee over in Luke chapter 18 that marched down to the front of the synagogue. We'd say today he marched down to the front of the church and he, he looked around and he said, I'm just the best person here. <laughs> oh, look at old so-and-so over there. Look at that publican. I'm so glad I'm not like him. I tithe. I do good deeds. I do all these things. And he was standing down in a place where everybody could see him. He had self-righteousness. But he wasn't protected by the true breastplate of righteousness. It's not self-righteousness. 
Over in Philippians chapter uh, 3, just a few pages over there, look at verse 3. He said, For we are the circumcision, which worship God in the Spirit and rejoice in Christ Jesus and have no confidence in the flesh. And now notice what he does in verse 4. He turns the, 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 the coin over there and says, Now, if anybody had a right to boast in the flesh, it's me. He said, Though I might also have confidence in the flesh, if any other man thinketh that he hath whereof he might trust in the flesh, I more circumcised the eighth day of the stock of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, and Hebrew of the Hebrews, as touching the law of Pharisee, concerning zeal, persecuting the church, touching the righteousness which is in the law, blameless. Paul says, listen, if anybody had a place to boast in his own righteousness, in his own works, it would be me. I am Mr. Israel. I'm a Hebrew of the Hebrews. Nobody gets more Jewish than me. Nobody gets more self-righteous than me. He said, I had so much zeal that I was persecuting the church. You know, you got to have a lot of zeal to be willing to go out and throw people in prison for disagreeing with you. You can't doubt his zeal. He was yet breathing out threatenings and slaughter against those Christians on his way to Damascus. He said, all these things, I could boast in that if I wanted to be self-righteous. But you see, he knew that his own righteousness was nothing but filthy rags. He says in verse 7, listen, But what things were gained to me, those I counted loss for Christ. <laughs> all those things that I did in my previous life, all those things I thought I was working my way to heaven to do, all those choices I made. You know, did you know that your choices, your decisions, the things that the religious world promotes as the pathway to heaven, can be, they're, they're nothing but self-righteousness. Now, I'm not saying they're not sincere. Don't get me wrong. The people who pray the sinner's prayer, which is not found in the Scripture, by the way. Search the Scriptures. You won't find a sinner's prayer there. But those who pray the sinner's prayer are sincere about it. Those who accept Jesus are sincere about it. Those who make a decision for Christ are sincere about it. We cannot doubt. I don't, I'm not up here preaching to doubt the sincerity. But beloved, if that's what you're relying on to get to heaven, then it's nothing but self-righteousness. I always think about Brother Luke Hagler, and I've used this several times here, but it's so, it's, it's so poignant, and it, it just gets the point across. When he believed that he had to do something to get to heaven, he said, I accepted Jesus a thousand times. <laughs> I accepted Jesus a thousand times. He said, I did it one time publicly like the preacher said to do it. But every time that the invitation was given, every time the doors to the church were open after that, I just bowed my head and said, Lord, I'm not sure I got it right last time. I'm going to do it again. <laughs> he kept on and on. You know why? Because he was never satisfied. And you will never be satisfied that you did enough to get yourself to heaven. You say, well, it's not about works. It's about your decisions. Decisions are a work. In any, in any event, if you want to separate it out over in the ninth chapter of Romans over there, uh, I forget the verse, but it's on down there about midway of the chapter. He says, it's not of him that willeth. It's not about your will. It's not about exercising your will. It's not about making a decision. Beloved, there's no decision you can make that would be pleasing to God until you've been born of the Spirit already. You say, well, I made a decision for Christ. If you did, and I hope you did, if you did, it was after 
you were already saved. I try to make a decision for Christ every day. And you ought to, too. And in fact, that's what we're going to be talking about here in the breastplate of righteousness. We ought to decide daily to follow him. But understand that that is not what gets us to heaven. This breastplate of righteousness, many in the world, I've read some preachers, some of their writings about, well, you've got to put on Christ's righteousness. You've got to put it on. <laughs> Let me tell you, this is not the imputed righteousness of Christ that we're talking about here. Now, before you can put on the breastplate of righteousness, you have to have the imputed righteousness of Christ. You have to have been born again already. But notice, he says, put on the armor. He says, stand therefore. He says, having on the breastplate of righteousness. He tells us to put on this armor. Put it on. Guess what? You don't put on the imputed righteousness of Christ. It's put on you. It's put on you, you see. Now, look, look over in Romans chapter 4, just to drive this point home. Romans chapter 4 and verse 5. Listen to this verse. But to him that worketh not, but believeth on him that justifieth the ungodly, his faith is counted for righteousness, even as David also describeth the blessedness of the man unto whom God imputeth righteousness without works. The righteousness of Christ is a righteousness that you obtain without works. In fact, there's no work you can do to obtain it. And that includes a decision you make and exercise of your will. So it's not self-righteousness. And it's not just the imputed righteousness of Christ. So what is it, preacher, you say? What is this breastplate of righteousness? The breastplate of righteousness that he's talking about here is the idea of practical or practiced righteousness. That is, living out this imputed righteousness. And that brings me back to my question that I asked beginning this sermon. Is your heart right with God? And that's a question we all ought to ask ourselves. Over in Acts, Acts chapter 8, we find that phrase mentioned. Over in Acts chapter 8, sort of his background, Philip had gone down to Samaria. He was preaching to the people down there, and they began to have a revival uh, unlike any revival they'd seen since Pentecost. People were coming forward, and they were getting baptized, and there was great joy, we're told, in that city. But there was a man down there named Simon, and we call him Simon the Sorcerer. He had before time used sorcery. He had been one of the great men in that area. He had bewitched the people there. And it says that ultimately Simon, verse 13, himself believed also and was then baptized. And he stayed with Philip and he kept looking at all those wonders and those miracles that he was doing. And ultimately he offered money to those apostles that came down, said, if you'll just let me give you some money and you give me the power to do this as well. And look at verse 20. Peter said unto him, Thy money perish with thee, because thou hast thought that the gift of God may be purchased with money. Thou hast neither part nor lot in this matter, for thy heart is not right in the sight of God. Now the religious world will tell you that that means he was a dead alien sinner and going to die and go to hell if he didn't make a decision. But we've already read where he believed. We've already read where he trusted in this uh, this new message that they were hearing. You can't believe the gospel without already having been born again. And then I want you to notice what 
Peter told him in verse 22, Repent therefore of this thy wickedness, and pray God if perhaps the thought of thine heart may be forgiven thee. Now I want to ask you something about the great apostle Peter. You think the great apostle Peter would tell someone who's dead in their sins to repent and do something so that he could make it into heaven one day? You think Peter would do that? I don't think so. Just like Paul and the uh, Philippian jailer over there, he said, what must I do to be saved? He said, repent and be baptized. You know, some, most people say, well, he was trying to tell that man to do something in order to get saved. No, he was telling somebody where he already recognized the, the regenerated work of God in his life. And he said, now, as a regenerated, born-again child of God, you need to repent and be baptized. And that's what he did. And guess what? He was saved. Not eternally, because he'd already been saved eternally. He was saved from this untoward or crooked generation. Is your heart right with God? See, that's the question here when it comes to the breastplate of righteousness. We're talking about not some kind of eternal righteousness or imputed righteousness of Christ, but we're talking about the practical righteousness of your daily living. See, righteousness in, a, in its broadest sense is just somebody who is what he ought to be. In other words, you're living right. You're doing the things that God wants you to do. You're, living, uh, you're, you're engaged in correct living and is speaking of the action that we Engage in here, practical, personal holiness. And I want to say to you, beloved, many a Christian warrior has been taken out of the battle by a failure of godly living. If you don't believe me, just, just talk to King David when we get to heaven. Talk to Samson. Talk to the great warrior Samson when we get to heaven who was a child of God and a mighty instrument of God in so many ways but was overcome by his passions. He did not engage in this righteous living. He didn't have on the breastplate of righteousness in his life. You remember the belt of truth, the girdle of truth that we're talking about? You see... The one who has on the breastplate of righteousness is the one who is girded about with the truth, but is not just theoretically thinking about the truth. He's not just engaged in some theoretical exercise. He's taking the truth of God's word and he is, has donned it as his belt and as the breastplate of righteousness, he's living out the truth in his life. It's never going to be a perfect righteousness. That's not what he's talking about. The only perfect righteousness is the righteousness of Christ. We will always be struggling in this life with practical godliness. But that's the point. It is a struggle and we are to engage in it. It is a battle and we are called to fight it. So why do we need it? Why do we need it? Well, we're unprotected without it. You see, our inner being needs protection. Remember, the Roman breastplate covered the vital organs of the body from the neck down to the top of the thighs, kind of like we would think about a bulletproof vest today, although the Roman, the Roman breastplate covered more than a bulletproof vest. Right living protects our affections, our will, our desire, our understanding, our emotions, okay? Remember, the Greeks and the Romans believed that the gut was the seat of the emotions. This part of our body, you know, we always think about the heart, but they believed that the bowels, you hear about, you read about bowels of mercy. You read about Paul at times saying, I long for you in my bowels. Well, you think about it, it makes sense, doesn't it? Because uh, uh, what happens, I know your heart goes pitter-pat when you fall in love, but I tell you what, I get all worked up in my, sometimes I used to get nervous going to see Sherry. <laughs> 
Yeah, I still get nervous sometimes going to see Sherry, but but I used to really get nervous. You know, I'd you know, and my, I'd get I'd get you know all uh, I'd just get all worked up, and I'd feel it in my stomach. You know, the Romans believed, and the Greeks believed that this was the seat of the emotions. They call it the reins sometimes in the Old Testament. That's the the, the kidneys and that sort of thing. They believed that that was a place where the conscience dwells conscience. Due to the constraints of time, we will stop the message here. But please join us tomorrow for the conclusion of this message. If you would like to subscribe to our website, please go to www.zionpbc.com and sign up for email updates. If you have any questions, please feel free to contact the church at zionpbc1847 at gmail.com. That's Z-I-O-N-P-B-C-1847 at gmail.com. Or you can email me directly at jchrismccool at gmail.com. That's the letter J, C-H-R-I-S-M-C-C-O-O-L at gmail.com. Again, thank you for listening. May the Lord bless you is my prayer. We thank you for listening to today's message. For more information, please visit us online at zionpbc.com. 